Hello, and welcome to another Sports Store Podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, December 16th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. Not a whole lot changing, other than there's a nice supply of beer in the fridge so I can have a beverage as we podcast for once uh, but I feel like I've often got some kind of buzz I'm just coming off of or something I'm really excited about and I'm happy that for once the script is flipped and it's you who has that going on tonight yes yes uh, I unfortunately cannot partake in the beverages because I will have to drive my butt across London to landmark cinemas where I will be taking in Spider-Man No Way Home tonight at 10.15, opening night. So incredibly pumped for this movie. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Uh, and the critics everywhere are screaming, singing, shouting, caroling the praises of this movie. I cannot wait. I'm so jacked. I mean, I feel like you'd be just as excited with 20% reviews across the board, but I guess that adds a little something else. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the most pressure any Marvel movie has had since Endgame, which now is a couple years ago, surprisingly how time flies. But uh, yeah, a lot riding on this one, not just with the fact that every movie has to seem so big in this universe now, but when it's Spider-Man, he's kind of the superhero um, that you might think of first. Him and Batman really are like 1A, 1B. So there's the little extra added pressure of really landing the the plane on this one. 100%. And I guess in the post-Endgame Marvel era, if anyone's taken the ball and run with it as the number one, it probably is uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. He's got another movie coming in February, Uncharted, that I'm excited for as well, because that's a, a, a particular favorite video game franchise of mine. Love that for him. But as always, this is a sports podcast. So now that we've had a couple minutes, we'll move on to the sports uh, today. As COVID kind of dominates the news headlines, we'll have a quick start on how that's affecting the sporting world before getting to our regular Thursday football fan cave preview of the NFL week, some basketball storylines, some talking hockey. Should be a pretty quick pod, not too much, uh, just three days after our last pod. But let's get right into it. Uh, COVID wrecking havoc kind of everywhere. I've, I spent about 40 minutes before the pod trying to get down where it seemed to be doing damage. I'm sure plenty of leagues, cases, teams slipped through the cracks, but 18 Calgary Flames players, uh, Everywhere in Ontario is now at half capacity for stadiums. The Montreal Canadiens will be playing in an empty stadium tonight against the Flyers and probably against the Bruins on Saturday, who are missing six players, including Bergeron and Marchand. No complaints there. 100 NFL players, as far as I can tell, that's players not even going into the plethora of staff coaches and whatnot that it takes to make that league function and then the nba i've got a little more details probably definitely missing some players on some of these teams but the bucks missing Giannis, divincenzo and portis the lakers missing howard monk westbrook and bradley as of today as well as tail and horton tucker the kings the uh De- fox marvin bagley 
Davis, as well as the coach Gentry and the Nets missing Harden, Brown, Aldridge, Bembry, and Carter. So these are all teams that I would describe as having outbreaks, not to mention the Chicago Bulls, who are the only team so far that have had games postponed. It's, as we see it going on, affecting our daily lives, the news, it's not really surprising to see it carries over here. I'd say the one silver lining or thing to keep in mind is now that everyone is pretty much vaccinated, the chances of long-term health effects, I think a lot more reduced as vaccines have shown to really bring down death and severe illness. And with the privacy policy, entered COVID protocols does often mean just close contact. Uh, but as time goes on, if they they're in it for more than three days, then it probably means they've tested positive. So not too sure what to make of this. Uh, we don't like to get political here, but some talk about a suspension or a bubble coming. I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to add to that or anything I missed. Um, with the NBA, that probably seems a little bit more realistic just because of the amount of money they drive through their TV deals and, and other revenue streams with the NHL. I don't see it as a possibility just with how important gate revenue is for the NHL. Um, and even the NFL as well, just because larger stadiums, more ticket revenue, they still will survive on the billion dollar TV contracts, but, um, a bubble is, is economically disastrous for a lot of these teams not necessarily for the owners but the teams themselves um and it was great there for a minute when everyone was enjoying games in person uh a lot of the states now have even though numbers are starting to rise again they've basically declared it over so i don't think we'll see much change because as bad as it seems up here in canada and we're headed towards another lockdown in the u.s there's not much change despite numbers going up because of vaccination, because of policies, because of just an overall sense of uh, finality that like they're just done with it. They don't want to follow these procedures anymore. I would be very surprised if we saw a bubble of some kind. Um, we could see postponements of games and realignment in where games are allocated. It's just such a logistical nightmare trying to figure everything out um what i could really see happening is the olympics players not going and them trying to fit a bunch of games into that three-week period as a way to catch up on some of these postponements for sure and i saw one thing saying looking at last year they had their covid or last season they had their covid outbreaks they weathered it they carried on that's with especially with such high vaccination rates i guess that's kind of similar to where the league was at last year as players often had priority uh, i was trying to think of the right fire analogy but uh you know those controlled burns it sweeps through and then for a set period of time it's literally impossible to burn it down again that's likely what so i don't think a bubble is likely either Except it makes more sense to me in the playoffs because you can postpone games, but come playoffs. But again, that'll be in the summer when flu COVID just seems to be less viral, less potent, less spreading. Um, like I said, it's such a dominating headline that I felt we had to acknowledge it. 
will follow it, of course, as it carries on. But as long as players aren't getting long-term illness, if they some people have to sit out for two weeks, they have to put a pause on for two weeks, not the end of the world. Uh, one other thing I'll add about the states, because we Googled this as a family today, uh, California, which has a population of Canada, has about the same number of COVID cases as all of Ontario right now. So that speaks to what I was saying about like once the wildfire sweeps through once, the undergrowth all has to come back before it can sweep through again. Uh, our herd immunity working kind of similarly. So that's probably what we're seeing here. It's going to go on for a month, two months, and then things will get better is kind of my thoughts prediction the difference there is california is always summer right Mm, whereas we are we are stuck inside when the colder weather comes that would be a a big factor i would say is the difference there (sighs) but i i am so sick and tired of talking about it and i know we're going to do more so so let's just move on uh talk about a league that has maybe been hit the hardest by covid um (laughs) Of course, yeah, they're not the best transition, but we'll just step right into the games and try and focus on the games and just grab the positives about what's coming up this week in the NFL. Really exciting action. A lot of playoff implications as we get closer and closer to the end of the season and none bigger, in my opinion, than tonight's Thursday game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers. Talked a little bit about it on Monday, but the key in this game is which team is going to be able to control possession, control the clock a little bit more because they'll both be able to score. Uh, in my opinion, even though the Chiefs defense has really become strong as of late, they are missing their number one pass rusher and Chris Jones. Although on the other side, the Chargers missing uh, Slater uh, as, as one of their top uh, offensive linemen. But I just think the Chargers have a pretty balanced attack with a great running back in Eckler. And then Justin Herbert had an incredible throw last week that made the, its way around the highlight reels. Um, he's an incredible player. They're going to be able to move the ball. And then on the other side, the Chiefs, normally a potent passing offense. Chargers are actually solid at defending the pass. It'll be about the Chiefs' ability to get Clyde Edwards Hilaire going against the second worst rush defense in the league in the Los Angeles Chargers. So uh, I could see some points getting put up and and that would probably be where I'd lean there is you're probably too late on getting any good value on the over. Um, but it's something to definitely look for. See if you can grab it uh, right before the game starts. We move on to Sunday. Uh, we've got four matchups here to break down really quickly. The Patriots and the Colts. Uh, this is a battle between two of maybe the, the toughest and most well-coached teams in the NFL coming up this weekend. Um, a great all-around team structure on both sides, and I think it really is going to come down to the quarterbacks in this game. Both teams really able to run the ball. Jonathan Taylor making an MVP case uh, with his performance this season. And, and of course, on the other side, the Patriots offensive line, super dominant. And then Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson, uh, a great dual threat out of the backfield. So for this game, it's going to come down to Mac Jones versus Carson Wentz. And the Patriots only threw the ball three times last or two weeks ago into the Buffalo Bills. So they, they really believe in just giving Mac Jones enough, but limiting turnovers however possible. And that's going to be a big 
thing to come down to here because Carson Wentz loves to turn the ball over at times and Mac Jones hasn't played in this type of atmosphere yet in the NFL where it's getting close to the end of the season. Each game has even more intensity. The best teams are really starting to rise to the top and he's going to have to make really good decisions at a high level. Uh, so we'll be interesting to see what happens in this one. I would lean the Patriots though. Did I hear that uh, right? Through the ball three times? Like, yeah, it, three... well, it was like 80 mile per hour winds. Oh, and, and, uh, they won with oh. only throwing the ball. It was 14, 10, the final score against the Buffalo bills that two weeks ago, I don't think we got to break it down, but it was kind of a shocking result. Um, the last time there were three passes thrown in an NFL game was like 1991. So that would really be like was, uh, bizarre. one shot on goal or something like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This Patriots team is, is really dominant running the ball and, Who's going to turn the ball over the lease again? Cliche, uh, but there's a reason why people say it. It's because it's true. It's almost like the opposite of you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right? <laughs> yeah, it, you should have seen that game, Max. There, there were punts that were just going straight into the air and coming back <laughs> at the punter. Like it was, it was bizarre. Uh, next game here, we've got the Falcons and the 49ers, two teams that people wrote off at the start of the year and somehow are still hanging around that playoff picture. Uh, the key team here is San Francisco. They're on an absolute roll, uh, even with injuries, even with different guys in different spots in the offense they've managed to produce. Devo Samuel is now uh, like a top 10 fantasy guy in the league with how he's been able to perform. And Brandon Ayuk is a great weapon. Uh, George Kittle has really taken a step up in recent weeks and becoming a, a clear option for Jimmy Garoppolo and the Falcons. <laughs> I don't trust them in any situation to have a performance, but it's simply watchable because despite their terrible season, they're still hanging around that 500 mark. I believe they're one game below and they could shock this 49ers team. That's riding high, just trying to move past this game and on to the next. Uh, the next game here, once again, AFC North, AFC West. It seems like Cincinnati is often the team involved in these games, but they are playing my Denver Broncos. Um, and this is a beat-up Cincinnati team that had two gutsy comeback performances in their last two weeks but fell short in both, uh, eventually losing to the Chargers. And then last week, taking a tough, tough loss um, in that one. And... In this game, with the way that they've been beat up, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, if Cincinnati can have success on offense because this Denver defense, despite how this Denver played a team has played this year, usually quarterbacks have poor performances against this Denver defense. Vic Fangio knows how to design an offense to just frustrate quarterbacks. And uh, again, Teddy Bridgewater, good at keeping good care of the ball, but this Denver offense needs to control time of possession in order to win this game because Cincinnati is definitely the more talented team uh, and with a win the Broncos could steal this one and and jump up to uh, I believe it would be nine and six uh, which is a shocking record for them but hmm. <laughs> hey they're they're hanging in there uh, yeah. I feel like you haven't been talking about how that metric or the fact that they're above 500 at all on the pod just trying not to jinx it yeah they've had a couple softies like new yeah. york new york detroit um 
or three easy wins, but I mean, they have some good wins. <laughs> this is a team really, in my opinion, that's just missing a quarterback and they could instantly vault into the contenders list, but it's just so tough when the ceiling of your team rides on a middle tier quarterback and maybe not the best offensive line either uh, to, to keep possession of the ball. So looking forward to that one. Um, yeah, the Bengals, Ben, they just a couple of really tough losses. They even, they scored a field goal in overtime against the 49ers last week and then gave up the touchdown. You don't see that often in, in NFL overtimes. The last one here, um, at the beginning of the season, you would have this one circled as the marquee matchup, uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens. But one team rolling in Green Bay with Arizona's loss on Monday to the Rams, they now have a really, really good chance of stealing that number one seed for the playoffs. And on the other side, the Ravens, again, just a team that has been demolished by injuries. Um, unsure if Lamar Jackson's going to play in this game. Uh, but I put this game in here as a game to watch because despite all those injuries, the Ravens, just one of those teams where just everything flows down, the organization, everything is just so top tier. It's like the Boston Bruins. Um, just one of those franchises that always seems to put a quality product out on the field. And they almost came back and beat the Browns last week. And I think their run game could be effective if Lamar is healthy enough to go then that is always a place there it seems that the Packers have struggled defending and so if Baltimore can control the ball a little bit run it uh, then we could see this uh, as a low scoring affair that that could lean just with Justin Tucker if you're Baltimore and you're in it in a one-point game two-point game you always got a shot and that's what they're going to try and force this game to be and if you're Green Bay um, try and get out to an early lead and then from there, you'll be riding high in the driver's seat. So looking forward to those games on Sunday. That's it for my football fan cave. We are going to move along into basketball storylines. We'll start with a historic night in a historic arena for a historic man. Steph Curry, just five minutes into the game, drains his second three of the night and passes Ray Allen, becomes the all-time leader in NBA three-pointers made. He stands alone now. And, and he's got is... seven more years of just extending his lead. Oh, my God. If he, like, I could see him being, like, a 40-year-old shooting guard if he can play half yeah. these defense who's certain, like, what J.J. Reddick's been doing for the past, like, three exactly. years before he retired like well well you look how like ray allen kyle corver they played so late into their careers as well um the, the one difference guys. is those guys yeah those guys are a, have a little bit more size which usually leads to a bit more longevity um but steph is i think he's listed as six three like he's not he's not a six foot guard uh, mm -hmm. in that regard and the, his style of play isn't as punishing right yeah so there's a potential for him to really make it into, into his late 30s and still be effective as a shooter. And I'm sure the influence of seeing what LeBron's doing right now is going to inspire a whole generation of players to take care of their body and approach things for as much longevity. I'm sure there's so much rivalry there between the two. Like Steph is going to want to challenge and push those limits, mm -hmm. uh, especially when 
he has a style of play that relies more on skill. If LeBron, a player whose style of play relies so heavily on athleticism, I'm sure he will not want to lose out. But uh, it was an awesome moment. Uh, hats off to the New York Knicks organization for taking the time, stopping the game, and letting that celebration play out properly. I watched about a four-minute video of it, and it was just smiles all around. Yeah, there's, it's all you can really do when someone hits a historic achievement right in the prime of their career. Normally, these guys hit these records late into their career, and it's it's just not as – it's obviously a huge deal, but they're not at their peak physical prime, whereas it feels like Curry definitely is right now. Um, I think it's – he's had so many injuries earlier in his career. I just am interested with the possibility of – the fact that he made so many threes, is there potential for him in the next seven years to really rocket up that all-time scoring list, right? Because a lot of these guys in the scoring list relied on longevity, but it was a lot more two-pointers uh, made during their careers, whereas Steph, with the power of the three, might have a chance to really climb up that list. Interesting to think about. On that, but I'll have to take a second look there. Yeah. Yeah, so a, a great moment there and, and going on at the same time, um, just uh, just a couple miles away in uh, Brooklyn, the Raptors suffering a heartbreaking loss in overtime to the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant is on a huge role right now. Of course, the 51 against Detroit um, just a couple days prior and an excellent performance again in this one. It, it's just the Raptors were had a great kind of variety of scoring in this game. And, and KD really said, like, I am far and away the best player in this game, so I'm just going to take over. And that's what he did. And the really the worry you have as a Nets fan is he is playing heavy, heavy minutes. We talked about how Van Vliet plays heavy minutes and they need him to because of his point differential. Well, Kevin Durant, it's the same way. Um, the only difference is, is this Nets team probably has – a couple more wins in the bank to play with. So I wouldn't be surprised if as the season moves along, they sacrifice a bit of that seeding in order to give KD a little bit more rest. But I think they need him right now while Harden continues to play his way into shape. And then we may see a slight switch in the twos minutes level. Yeah, I'm sure Steve Nash is almost hoping KD has a couple bad games and gives him an excuse to taper down those minutes. But a really impossible decision to make right now for him. I'm also sure he wouldn't mind a pause in league play. And the other two differences to highlight between Van Fleet and uh, KD is KD, of course, with a history or a more recent history of injury and uh, being a foot taller, I think, will just always pose more of a risk to getting injured. Yeah, more of his body type too yeah. than necessarily his size like he's a seven footer that is just obviously he's massive and i never want to say a guy is skinny but that just he has a slimmer figure and and that's usually more uh it's more there's a higher possibility of of injury there thanks for that kinesiologist <laughs> i know such in-depth analysis there uh we're gonna move along here a game i got to catch a bit of last night and I'm glad I did. The was these, yeah, the Lakers and Mavs. Um, the crunch time lineup for the Lakers 
they go with LeBron and AD and not three shooters. They go Russ, Austin Reeves, and Wayne Ellington. Just a really, really interesting combination of guys. Are you sure they didn't go with three shooters though? (laughs) I know. Well, yeah, we'll get there. Um, But Wayne Ellington, of course, is like the main shooter you would call him, but he was a, he wasn't on any team last year. So really bizarre that he's your crunch time, one of your crunch time guys, but that's what they go to uh, in that scenario. The things that stood out to me in this game is just, it's so tough watching this Lakers team because LeBron eats 20 seconds off the clock, just holding the ball in a position, waiting for things to develop. And it's just really clunky with some of the spacing when Westbrook has the ball or when AD has the ball because he has shot terribly this season. That's been well documented. And then on the other side, like again, I your eyes tend to go to, towards LeBron. He just has this aura and he is not trying at all defensively. Like he is saving every possible second. Um, it was a tie game and I believe Brunson had the ball and Porzingis came to set up, take to set a screen and then uh, popped out of it. He slipped out of it before even setting the screen and LeBron kind of just let him go. Porzingis got a wide open three, but he didn't make it uh, and kind of bailed out LeBron there. Again, with Jalen Bronson, he, he kind of was a presence, but didn't necessarily shut down the drive. Anthony Davis comes down for no reason. It gets kicked out to Kleber, who just makes this crazy bank shot well, from the on. top of the three-point arc. Like, Let's go I'm one sorry. play back. I know. I was just talking LeBron in that sense. Okay, just, gotcha. There was no, it's just seemingly no effort, um, which really makes me believe the fact that this Lakers team, what is now three games over 500? We're just waiting for them to turn it on at some point. I think there's still moves to be made. Again, we're going to say this a hundred times and now in between now and the playoffs, but uh, it's still pretty shocking every time I tune into a Lakers game, how little effort is being played by LeBron. And I, and that's seeping in, I think to a couple of other guys, which is nice, which is why it's nice that they injected Austin Reeves into this lineup because he feels a little bit Caruso ish in the fact where he's just going to give it his all every time he's on the court. Did you hear any of the uh, Lakers-Nets trade speculation? No, I did not. What, what was the uh, potential? I, I saw somewhere. So I, I'm so happy you haven't heard this, and I can present this to you fresh. What do you think about Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving? Westbrook goes back and rejoins Durant and Harden, and Kyrie rejoins <laughs> LeBron. Like what a story. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, I also heard about potentially Taylor Horton Tucker for Joe Harris. Some those players were names I was hearing yeah. being tossed in. Yeah, it, like you can always toss names in, but it's I just, just memeable. Like I know oh. it just it like when I hear the, both of those, they just don't make any sense for either team. Um, so I, I don't know if there's any. Well, getting rid of if I'm the Nets, getting rid of Irving for. But the Taylor. Lakers wouldn't take a guy when, like, well, no, I guess so. <laughs> you'd know if it happened, LeBron had given it the okay, and that yeah. in itself would almost be worth half a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, you just don't know if Irving's going to play. So for right now, you can't touch him if you're a team. Yeah. It, I just had to bring that up to your attention, though. So back to the game. 
Tim Hardaway Jr. with a clutch buzzer beating three uh, on a kickout. And that puts the Lakers or puts the Mavs up. No, it ties the game. <laughs> then LeBron comes down on uh, the other side, gets double team, passes out of that, or that's the final play. He just throws a bailout to the corner. Westbrook with about four seconds left, gets closed out, pump fake, sidesteps, hits a three. His only made three of the night, of course, right? Like, if you're the Mavericks, you are so happy that that is the shot that you may end up dying on because you take that 100 times out of 100. Um, but Westbrook's corner three percentage is, hasn't been as horrendous as the rest of his three-point shooting. Um, but it's a big-time shot to make. And then, of course, I mentioned the Kleber bank shot uh, to tie the game, which was terrible defense by Davis in that possession. And then the Lakers. Chance to win the game, balls in LeBron's hands. He gets doubled. He makes the right read, as he often does. Gets the ball to Davis, kicks to the corner again to Westbrook, but this time Westbrook doesn't shoot it. And you could see um, the first time he shot it, he was forced to. This time he didn't want to, uh, and that has a taste in interesting. But then he drives. Everyone kind of converges two players go to Anthony Davis to kind of stop that lob threat Westbrook kicks out to a wide open rookie Austin Reeves who drills the dagger in the face of the closeout he actually got fouled on that shot too could have been a four-point play um, a big time shot from him after getting his opportunity to be in the crunch time five and a much needed win for the Lakers Hanging over all of this is that Luka Doncic did not play in this game. So if you're the Lakers, again, you just steal a win. A win is a win on the stat sheet, and you move on. And despite everything terrible that's happened, they're not getting the best wins, but you just bank the wins, and you move on, and you try and improve it, especially with such a veteran roster. They're just trying to slug their way and use 49% uh, of the gas tank to get 80% of the wins, right? That's what they're trying to do. It's all about managing, managing that energy, uh, the load management, of course, and, and see what you can get out of that. And all they're trying to do is make the playoffs. <laughs> in hindsight, 2020, the Phoenix Suns, an awful matchup for them in the playoffs last year, an awful matchup for anyone. So um, they're just hoping they don't get matched up against the Suns. I, the Warriors probably. Yeah possibly I, I think it's it's those I, two what, yeah the jazz would be interesting i don't think anyone's scared of the jazz in the west like so and, and again it's that's such a terrible thing to say but just there's something about this utah team where the like quote-unquote true contenders will be able to figure them out in a game seven series they're just not as scary as as maybe a phoenix and a golden state who seem a lot more versatile I guess I I don't know if the Lakers have the versatility to attack the Jazz in the way that the Clippers did. Yeah, so yeah. I think that will would be a really fun playoff matchup. Um, but definitely just the Suns Warriors, not the Nuggets, not the Mavs. Uh, those are the only two teams I really want to avoid in the first round if I'm the Lakers. Uh, one more thing, sort of in Lakerland, Isaiah Thomas makes league his him. G League debut the other night, 
drops 42 points and gets quickly signed to a 10-day contract with the Lakers. Uh, this team just keeps getting better. Just the, just exactly what they need. Another guy who doesn't play defense. <laughs> yeah, they're taking the 20, what do we say? The 2012 All-Star team. I guess Thomas was like 2015, 2016. Yeah, his prime, but... Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, he is he is everyone. the mighty mouse, the hero for all short kings everywhere. Exactly. Everyone who loved basketball as a middle schooler, high schooler, and it dawned on them they weren't going to grow six to six foot six, loves Isaiah Thomas. Uh, just this team, the island of misfits, keep getting misfittier. And, uh, <laughs> he's just he's just with this Lakers team that needs defense again. The effort's there from Thomas, but just you cannot be an average defender at his size. Yeah. It's just biologically not possible. So and that is something I just don't understand from the Lakers' perspective. Well, it comes at a time with no Westbrook, no Monk, and no Bradley for the Lakers. Yeah. So yeah. their backcourt a little lacking, a 10-day contract. They get someone to plug in there hoping for maybe like that one in 10 one in 20 he gives them something to show all in all he probably plays one or two games maybe he gets to stay and put on the bench uh be a nice i don't really want to see the lakers get a ring this season but that would make me feel a little better about it if that lebron thomas partnership did end up working out in the end yeah i could see isaiah thomas ending up somewhere maybe like houston where they need a point guard again he's not the most like in a sense get each guy their shots type of point guard but he could be a veteran presence that they bring in just to put alongside ken porter jr or jalen green who just aren't nba ready to facilitate for everyone and and isaiah thomas that could maybe be a spot where he could fit in besides that it's you're looking at those lower tier teams um who are just looking for guys to to get their shots up I think that's it for basketball. Yep. Right. So we don't have any sponsors on this podcast because we really don't have enough listeners for it. But I was talking to my cousin the other week and he said when they did a 4-1, it was kind of fun to just make them up. So I thought I'd shout out this beer from Junction Craft Brewery, Promise 100. It's a nice amber ale. It says it's English, which I don't know what that means, or English style, don't know what that means, but it's kind of nice in the winter, a little like hoppier a little drier a little more bitter and it's been nice to sip on during this pod nice got- job guys all right there you go well i guess free ads on this show um why not yeah that's okay sponsor us <laughs> all right we can move along to talking hockey now uh i felt a little shamed uh not having watched much in the past few weeks so i got to catch most of this leafs oilers game and in a sentence, the Oilers got leafed. Uh, they outplayed the Leafs for vast stretches of the game. Dreisaitl misses a wide open net. Then 10 minutes in the second of pure domination for this Oilers team, where the Leafs don't see a single shot on goal. And then around the 9 minute 30 mark, they're 
second shot on goal in the period, first shot in about a 10 plus minute stretch, goes in on an amazing hustle play by Wayne Simmons to get them the lead. Uh, every power play seems to click for them. Edmonton goes, gets a goal in the third period, tries to mount a comeback, and the Leafs answer right back. So Oilers fans, I know exactly how you feel. We've been there so many times. On the other hand, it felt so good to see our boys close well. Um, going into that game after the Chicago one you mentioned, I, I wanted to go to bed after two periods, but the Leafs being the Leafs, that lead did not feel secure. And it was so satisfying to watch them take care of the puck in the third and answer back on that goal, close out strong offensively, no lapses. Game with a few holes there, that 10 minutes in the seconds was tough to watch. Uh, but really nice bounce back game from the Chicago one for our boys. Not just any response goal. Austin Matthews, 20th goal of the season, an absolute laser beam. That was the, the second. That was later, I think. Yeah, I thought that was the, the fifth goal of the night. It was his yeah, second goal of the game. But uh, like we had a three nothing, I think. Ah, you mean and the then response to the Oilers the, went three the one. Goal. And then like, I think Brody got made it four one like a minute later. So, cause three, one's a scary score, right? Yeah. To, like, um, and then that Matthews goal just closed it out and put the threat away to bed. So nice. So nice. Oh, yeah. Filth. yeah. I, I mean, I wish every game was against Edmonton to be <laughs> honest, even though they have seemingly the two scariest players in the league because the Leafs well. seven, one and two in their last 10 against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, six, one, and two last year against them in the North Division, and getting a win now this season. Um, for some reason, we have their number, and I wish they could figure out how to play like this against every other team. Because how do you figure out the the like two best guys in the league and not anything else? Just treat every team's best player like they're Connor McDavid. Uh, <laughs> although, maybe the player who really needs that treatment right now isn't Connor McDavid, but Alex Ovechkin, as he is currently the league's leading scorer. We mentioned this briefly on the podcast, but the 37-year-old leading the league in points, he hasn't done that for almost seven years. Uh, he just took the all-time NHL tie for power play goals, probably the best to ever do it on the power play, so love to see that. And uh, 14 away from Yager, that seems pretty darn likely this season, oh, especially yeah. at the rate he's going. So sorry to be a little all over the place here, but had to throw that in there. Yeah, Ovi, uh, great goal scorer and great father, was playing a little <laughs> hockey in, in his living room with the kids, saw that video on Instagram making their rounds. Um, no mercy on the kids either. Nasty toey pulled on one of them. Uh, he's just, everything's going right for him right now. <laughs> yeah, but for this Edmonton team, everything going wrong. That is a six-game slide. Uh, McDavid, Dreisaitl doing their best. Um, it's a Herculean effort, but it's just not enough. The goaltending, it seems like, I don't want to say dumb luck, but it's something a lot of teams struggle with that just seems to gel at other times with not a lot of rhyme or reason. And that was the case for them at first, but a bit of a struggle here. Uh, the depth scoring, nowhere to be found for this team. 
and they've gone from one of the hottest teams in the league to one of the coldest. The playoff, it's a regression or heading towards a regression where it seemed like this was a good regular season team that needed to figure out it out in the playoffs. Look, a six-game slide is something we as Leafs fans are plenty familiar with, slumps that need to be addressed in the regular season. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are too good to not steal a few games, answer it back, and uh, find a way to get their team back in it. But this, the questions which were already present are just especially high for this team right now. Yeah, uh, on 32 Thoughts, um, it was mentioned that it looks like the GM Ken Holland will be <laughs> looking into defense and goaltending as we get closer uh, to the deadline. Still a couple months away, but definitely a focus for him. The direct quote was that he said it is hard to score four goals a night, which is what they were doing at the beginning of the season. But when you give up over three and you have to score four, it just puts so much strain on your offense. And um, yeah, it's it's tough when Mike Smith and Koskinen are you two guys and you're relying on that every night and you just don't have, you spent a lot of money on Hyman and Warren Fogle, but you didn't really bolster the back end. Four years for Cody CC, Tyson Berry. Like we already saw this in Toronto. We know it doesn't work. And uh, obviously it's not working in Edmonton either. They love the former Leafs though, eh? CC Barry Hyman. Yeah. Love those guys. But I mean, now new spot Hyman I can take off that list he's been great for them he's their third leading sure scorer is. but um yeah the the Barry CC thing is just the yikes yeah there's some high level analysis for you <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting to hear that because my focus was on I think Cassian scored their only goal of the night against the Leafs and they said something like that was the first goal coming from not the top two lines in like a ridiculous yeah. number of games yeah. so really questions over the head of every player not named McDavid and Dreisaitl and I'll add Nurse to that list I really like how he took care of the puck last night or the other night uh, yeah the Soilers team well, we've got more than enough worries of our own, so I won't shoulder too much of theirs. Yeah, and then that's pretty much it for this one. I think we already talked a lot of COVID. I, the, the last thing here in talking hockey that I wanted to mention about was just the things with the Olympics and NHL players is, is getting more tenuous as the days go by. Um, with Chinese policy right now, there's potential if you test positive for COVID over there, you could be in quarantine for up to five weeks. That's not only impactful on your team and um, how much you're playing and how much money you're making because you're not getting paid for that time. You're not going to get paid by the NHL. You got to think of these guys, the human element too, missing out on their families. Um, Alex Petrangelo, one of the three guys already named to the Canadian Olympic team, in an interview mentioned he has four kids under the age of three and a half. Uh, that's tough. If you test positive over there, three to five weeks away from your family is, is something really to consider. So I imagine if the Olympics end up happening, I worry about the, the best on best quality. I don't think all the NHL players will go and who knows if they even go at all. It's not, it's not nice to think about, but it is a realistic situation. 
And even if you don't have a family, just the mental health aspect of being stuck in quarantine for five weeks, absolutely dreadful thought. In a foreign country. Robin Lehner of Team Sweden already declaring he will not participate for that reason. Uh, You meant the other two names, John Tavares and Connor McDavid. Yeah, I mean, we've been deprived of best-on-best Olympic hockey for nine years now, and I miss it as much, if not more, than anyone, but it just doesn't feel right this time around. Yeah, yeah. So we will stay in the know on on that as it progresses, but that's it for this one. I'm going to try and sneak in my event tonight before things really get shut down. Uh, Looking forward to it. And uh, Max, I might see you this weekend when I pop by the Toronto uh, meeting of the minds for the first time in a while. Looking forward to that, buddy. Yeah, we'll have to get a new uh, cover photo for the pod, I was thinking. (laughs) For sure, for sure. All right, check that out next week, everyone. That's all for this one. Sports Next Door signing out.